has given us some problems in the past. So. One of the interesting things is, is Dave used to do it, didn't like doing it, and now I have to do it. Welcome to Cloud Realities Live, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. I'm Shelby Zal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And it's incredible to have with us today, Jeff Barr, VP and Chief Evangelist at AWS, but that job title barely covers what Jeff has as a perspective on this industry. He's been at AWS for over 21 years, was right there at the beginning, so has seen this monster of an organization that now has effectively helped change the world, like re refactoring what we do, refactoring the entire industry of the sort of thing that we do as, as integrators, suppliers, and consultants, not to mention countless customer organizations across the world. Uh, and we are you know, feel, we feel very lucky to have you on the show today, Jeff, and making some time in your schedule, and we're looking forward to your perspective. So, I, welcome. I'm, I'm super happy to be here, and thanks for having me. It, 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 honestly, our pleasure. Um, so, well, let's let's start with, you know, AWS today, like, or rather, reinvent today. So, this is your. How many reinvents have you been to? This, at this point? I've been to all the reinvents. So, this is number twelve for me. And how does it sit? You, for you in terms of the, you know, the 12 that you've been to so far, just constantly bigger and better? Does it feel different? I, I So it seems to me it's just gotten better every year. And I, I think one of the things that we always try to do at Amazon is we we put our our best effort into defining the first element of something. We, we do it. We listen. We learn. We try to understand what worked well, what didn't work well. Mm. We feed back that back into our into our plans for the following iteration. And so every, everything that we did right at the first reInvent, we've only expanded and, and scaled up since, since then. And we've introduced new, new, um, new challenges, new opportunities, new learning things for, for our customers to do. Uh, the, to me, the only actual difference between the first one and this one hmm. is the first one was really held within the confines of this one facility. Right, and so right. I remember being able to go from room to room and event to event and effectively get a, a bit of a sample of everything going on at, at the entirety of reInvent. And I right. probably took a, a picture in every one of those rooms. Wow. But at this point, we have so much going on that I don't think it is I think you'd have to be possible. here for three weeks, wouldn't you? I think it'd be more than that. I yeah. mean, it's all the way down the strip now as uh -huh. well, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. But one, one of the things I, re I there's, a, there's a number of things I value reInvent for, uh, but the, the two that always resonate with me, uh, first of all, it's the sort of the learning culture aspect of it. It's, it's, it's very much like not a sales culture. It's very much a, a sort of a, a learning and education and sort of dynamic transformation set of conversations. And I love that about it. And then the second element is the is the expo, and I bang on about this quite a bit on the show, so I won't say too much. But the expo to me feels like a microcosm of the of the cloud industry. You know, just walking around, you get a sense of like, you know, the new guy, the new guys on the block, the establishment and growth of certain players as they've come through the ecosystem in the last ten years. I wonder what stands out for you when you when you walk around reinvent as the thing that. You, you, you might be proud of, or you think, God, well, you know, I didn't see that coming. That looks amazing. Well, to me, it's every different kind of diversity that we can think of, you know, from diversity of, of 
products and services and offerings to uh, approaches to learning. That I, one thing I've I've figured out over the years, there's so many different ways that people learn. Some people learn by doing a lot of reading and kind of capturing the theory. Others like to to watch something, some kind of like maybe video content or live content. Right. Others go dive into the source code. Other people would like to maybe be mentored or pair programmed together. There, there's so many different others might take a, a workshop or a class. And I, I think we've got room for all, all of that here, any, any different learning mode. So that's kind of like the diversity of learning opportunities. But the, the, the variety of people that I get to meet here, and I've, I've met people from just about everywhere around the world. This week, I've not met anybody from Antarctica. But if, if they're here, we'd <laughs> love every to still meet yeah. them. But I think every other We're continent... We're through. So you've you got, you got a day and a half left. You never know. You, that could certainly still happen. So it, it's wonderful to meet all these folks. And w one thing it points out to me that's very different from earlier in my career. So growing up in, in, in tech and thinking back to the, let's say, the 1980s, early mm. 90s, mm. kind of the prevailing wisdom in tech at that point was... All of the amazing things happen in Silicon Valley and a couple little spots in Silicon Valley. And your job as a technologist was somehow to get yourself to Silicon Valley. Yeah. And yeah, certainly yeah. there's a lot of amazing things that happen there, but just as amazing things happen everywhere else in the world. So people can now innovate in place versus trying to, to somehow set Silicon Valley as their as their one and only destination. We were on an earlier show this week, we were actually talking about how the cloud has been very democratizing in that yeah. way. Right, so it's, uh, it's given easy access to the tools that you need to be able to do things at scale quickly with limited risk, isn't it? That is fundamentally what cloud exactly. allows organizations to do, isn't it? So. Exactly. Earlier this year, I took some AWS trips to South America. I went to both uh, Chile and to Peru, mm. and I met with some of the AWS communities in both of those countries. It was so amazing to talk to these folks that were relatively early in their careers that had looked at the, the cloud and at tech and said, this is our big opportunity. This is the way that we can, we, we can study, we can learn, we can create, we can get better jobs. We can just get on this escalator up, up the economic uh, hierarchy, I guess you might call it. And they, they were saying, we're, we're, we're just as good here as we would be if we were in Silicon Valley or somewhere else. And that, that's yeah, just a... Yeah. The, the ability to kind of have this, everybody participate in what's going on here is, is like really awesome to me. Amazing. So, so it, it's interesting to see that that's sort of where we're up to right now. Now let's rewind the clock a little bit and talk about uh, some of the early days. So you have a perspective on this organization that is, you know, maybe not unique, but it's only held by a handful of people in the world. So what was day one like? So to me, one of the interesting things is that you don't always know when it is day one. And yeah, true. We, we have this phrase at Amazon about um, work hard and have fun and make history. Hmm. We do all of those things really well, I think. The, the, the strange part sometimes is that when you are making history, no one quite says, oh, it is now day one and start capturing all the details and record this really carefully because you're going to want to return to this someday. Right. It's often a little bit more of a, of a fuzzy start and you, you start with some meetings and you make some plans and mm. you start hiring and building and launching, but no one ever says it is now day one of the cloud era, act right. differently, record everything. It, right. It's often only in, in retrospect, as you look back that you say, okay, that was some of these early defining moments and we should have captured that history just a little bit uh, in, in higher resolution. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and when you think of that journey and you look back, when was the point 
when it became very clear that this was going to be something that was absolutely massive and had the capability to really change the world. All right, that is actually my favorite question because that happened right here at reInvent. Hmm. The the before the first reInvent, we're we're working internally. It's it's really clear that we are hiring people, we're building more services, we're launching services. Where you kind of get a sense of the numbers and everything are, are going. We, we call it at Amazon, we always say up and to the right. You want right, your metrics right. always go up and to the right. So you're certainly seeing the metrics going up and to the right, but, but those are abstract. Now, for years, our customers had been asking us to put a conference together and we wanted to get to a point where we could do like a, a truly amazing level of, of sophistication for our conference. Mm. We got to that point when we did the first reInvent. And I remember we had some launches scheduled for that first reInvent, and I worked to create the blog post ahead of time for those launches. And showing up here for the first event and walking into the keynote room, and suddenly there were 6,000 chairs set up, and I got there a little bit early to get a good seat. There's 6,000 chairs set up, and that was the, the actual transition point in my mind from this is this abstract thing we're doing that seems kind of neat to... This is kind of amazing that 6,000 people would come to Las Vegas to, to hear from us about all the amazing things that we're doing. And I, it, it's still fairly clear in my mind that actual walking into the room and saying, oh my gosh, look at all those chairs. This all these people are here for us. This is actually a big deal. Yeah. Cool. That is, it is awesome. And within that same sort of period, I'm, I'm guessing, one, one of the things that I, I as a te- I've used as a technique quite a lot, a lot, which I've been inspired from AWS by is working backwards, and you know the the press release and uh, and and you know pro- projecting out to you know what would ideal look like and what would you put out as a press release and then work back. Were you involved in that conversation right at the very beginning? How did you guys establish that kind of working methodology? Um, th- we we absolutely for sure do the the start from the customer and work mm. backward methodology. Uh, I, personally, I was not involved in the the planning at all for reInvent, so I, I was just as uh, as surprised and impressed as anybody else when they walked in here. Now, now one funny part about that first keynote was. Now we have a very sophisticated launch process and a launch team. Mm. We, ha- we have very detailed plans and we have triggers to know exactly when all the, the content has to go online. Right, but- that, that first one, I didn't know we had to be that sophisticated. Mm. And mm. my plan, as such as it was, was to simply sit in the audience on my laptop. And as Andy would announce the new services, I would just pull up the blog post and hit publish on them. Right. Um, I didn't even think through the fact that Anybody sitting behind me could actually see my screen. Yeah, and see what was about <laughs> so I shoulder I ver- surfing. I, I, like I very quickly excused myself out of that first keynote and and launched from the from the hallway. Yeah. Now yeah. that that was kind of neat because that was I was the only one doing that at the time. Amazing. And now there's an entire organization, and there are second by second uh, itineraries of exactly what's going to launch when. And one one of the things that we've managed to maintain that I'm so proud of is that. At the point when any of our keynote speakers announces a new offering from the stage, the, the launch team is following along on, on the itinerary. They're tracking the time. As soon as any of our speakers announces something new, we've got that content queued up and ready to go. We hit publish. And literally seconds after the keynote announcement, mm. the content is online for that. It, it sounds kind of trivial, but we've gotten so much recognition and positive feedback for that over the years that say, you folks really have your act together. The, yeah. the fact that when something is announced, you've got your content ready to go. It's on there in seconds. And that what the keynote speaker said actually matches what you wrote, which mm. to me sounds like table stakes, especially here in Vegas. Yeah, but yeah. 
the reality is that we somehow actually, we, 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 we work really hard. As, like for me as a content creator, yeah. get every last detail precise and perfect. And, and when it, you're and dealing with an ever-increasing scale, you know, they're, they're, they're keeping all of that in sync. That's no easy, that's no easy feat, I don't think. Uh, absolutely correct. Yeah. And we, I, I always think of my audience, I think of my customers, and the, the fact that after having written thousands of blog posts over the last 19 years, I, I still think of my, my reputation among them as kind yeah. of fragile, mm -hmm. and that if I don't give them absolute highest quality, yeah. perfect content, my, my whole identity kind of could fall apart. So I'm, I'm always trying to outdo myself from the last time. No, as I, I, I think that's just like having a, a deep respect for your audience, isn't it? It's like never take that for granted. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you must enjoy walking around here and just chatting to people. Oh, it's, it's unbelievably cool. So yeah. what, what I love is the fact that most of my working day is spent fairly quietly. Mm. I, I have on average less than two meetings per week. Right. And so most of my working day is simply spent at the keyboard, using services, reading documents, writing draft blog posts, iterating on those, getting feedback, mo mostly written. And I, I talk to my wife during the day and I talk to our dog. But other than that, it's a fairly quiet day. Yeah. And so when I come to reInvent and every, everything switches from being mostly quiet all day to yeah. speaking all day. It's literally the exact opposite, practically. It, it, it actually is. It, yeah. it's, um, it's exhausting and invigorating at the same time. And Isn't it? What what I get from being here is it, it's so amazing to meet folks that will tell me, Jeff, I've been following you for 5, 10, 15 years mm. as you create content. And they'll tell me these stories that say, I was early in my career. I happened onto your blog post for EC2 or S3 or Lambda or DynamoDB or whatever it might happen to be. I, I read what you had to say. I, I got a little bit inspired by that. I picked up on it. I studied. I built some apps. And then they say, you know what, that gave me a couple steps up in my career and I made right. some progress and I'm thinking it's, I'm just sitting there typing and creating some words and I've somehow made this, this positive change for these people. And I never, ever forget that, that, um, that gratitude that I get from the audience. It's, it's uh, yeah, I, yeah, such an amazing feeling I would imagine. And I wonder if you've got like one that comes to the top of your mind, just like without thinking about it as your favorite or the one that like you felt had an impact that were like you, even you were like, wow, I didn't, uh, didn't see that one coming. It's, it's hard to tell them apart. And oddly enough, uh, Amazon is a very metrics driven culture. And for almost everything that we do, uh, the, the metrics are tracked and analyzed. And we're always trying to say, okay, what, what did we learn? What worked? What didn't work? Uh, how can we keep pushing things up and to the right? I found it for blog posts in particular that metrics are not really helpful because you, you, it's hard to get a sense of what's really going to work until you actually try it. And you don't want to write for optimization. You no, want to write sure. to, to actually yeah. just communicate what, what's there. And the, the size of the audience or the number of impressions you might get for a particular piece of content, to me, it actually doesn't matter because mm -hmm. there might mm -hmm. be a, a thousand people out there that need that one particular fact. It's maybe it's, a, it's in a somewhat vertical situation yeah but maybe that's the final piece of some puzzle that they're trying to solve yeah so, yeah so i've i've actually shied away from metrics i i can't tell you within two orders of magnitude how many impressions any of my blog posts get right right i, I just create the best content that i know how to do and and let it kind of seek its own level from a, from a content perspective do you have a favorite like one where you're writing and you're like oh that actually that i got somewhere with that it, it's always the latest one i've done right i, I try enough. very hard not to play favorites with the service teams and right, I, yeah. I know that if i were to 
pick one favorite. It's like choosing your favorite child. You can never choose your favorite child or <laughs> your favorite enough. grandchild. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you you always whatever service I worked on last is the one that I that's the good one. I, I have great memories of, and I for for the duration of time I'm working on a, a post for a particular service or lunch. That team gets all my attention and they are my customer and I'm doing my best to deliver for them. Brilliant. So, so one of the things that, that we think about a lot, just moving the conversation on a, a bit, is we, we think about cloud as a specific era of compute and just winding the clock like right back to the beginning of it. Um, you know, if you think about compute as more than, say, the technology and the platform, but actually it's the impact that it has on organizations around it and then the world around that and certain certain styles of compute and, and power of compute have certain ripple effects and impacts. So going back to say mainframe, you know, the consumption model of mainframe is you would, you know, you would walk down to the basement and you would make a request of the mainframe team, which would probably be in a sealed room, air conditioned, in white coats. Um, and, and what that would effectively do is it would allow you within a few days to get an answer for something that actually would have taken a team of humans you know, a number of months to do. So there was a, there was a level of speed involved in that, and a level of efficiency, and uh, you know, and it was the beginning of a journey. And then client client server came along. It was a lot more democratizing. All of a sudden, you could have servers under desks, you know, which then IT spent years cleaning that up and putting that into data centers. But actually, it allowed you know a computer on everyone's desk and in everybody's home, and 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 that in itself then had a profound I- implication and profound impact on organizations it changed organization shapes it allowed globalization to start happening you know the internet within that same within that same period and then you've got a third era of compute now uh, is our thesis which is cloud native and and the cloud where it's having the same levels of profound impact um it's changing how organizations can function particularly if you go on a full modernization journey you, know, you look at like a netflix and what netflix has done off the back of an aws platform is is insane. It's like not only disrupt, disrupting, say, media distribution, they then go on to disrupt content creation in, in, a, in a really material way. That, that to me is a, an insane journey. Um, organization models and culture are different, like speed at which businesses can work is, is different. And, you know, if, if, if client server was about digitization, making things faster and more efficient and more collected, seems to me like cloud native is an era of digitalization where really profound transformation is happening within organizations. Uh, you know, speaking, speaking to one of the fathers of the industry that we're in at the moment, I would love to get your take on, on that perspective. And does, does that resonate with you? Is it, that, is it the statement of the blindingly obvious or do you see things oh, differently? I, I, I think it's very profound. And having spent my early college years on mainframes and the, the thing that always I found fascinating about mainframes is you, you carefully prepare your program, your card deck, you, you drop it off at the computer center. Or drop it on the floor and go, oh, dearie me. Exactly. <laughs> you, 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 you take that, that carefully created deck, you turn it in, and, and I always used to watch the output from, you, know, you, you get your paper listing back. I'd watch that so carefully, and I'd study the details, and I realized that my program waited in line for hours and hours and hours to be on the computer for a matter of actual real-time seconds. And that, that ratio always... I found fascinating that this idea that it was just sitting there waiting. And so when we, if I were to really look at this entire journey for me from the mainframe to the, the cloud era, it used to be many people to one very precious computer. 
And now we've turned that around, and it's this one person that has this incredible power who now has access to literally as many computers and mm. storage and networks and databases and disk drives as they could possibly need. Right. So right. The, the mainframe time, and then to me, like the mini computer time, the personal computer era, we, we have this kind of built-in understanding of what is a reasonably sized problem to attack. We, we kind of know the compute power we had. We know about how much storage and how much memory. And we kind of get this intuitive sense of like, is this a solvable problem given how much resources we have? Yeah. And we would then yeah. kind of, we'd use that to temper our expectations and say, okay, well, we can't do that because we don't have enough of whatever resource we're thinking about. The, when, when you really start to think cloud native, you turn that around and you say, here's my problem. I'm going to express it in the most natural way possible. And whatever amount of compute or networking or storage or database or whatever it needs, we just ask for that much from the cloud. And so not thinking of the you're computing as the limiting thing, but yeah. the enabling thing, to me, is the most interesting and, difference. And, and for me, that's, that's over those journeys. We're constantly removing the constraints of the technology to free the human to do something more powerful, more quickly. Uh, you know, tapping into the imagination in a different way. You go back to that mainframe, we're horribly constrained. The operational model looked like the mainframe client server, it changed, and then cloud native, it's just freed us. And then I, I suppose you get that AI point over the top, isn't it? Which is, is that the next era or is it an, uh, an addition to our existing era? Is it just another capability boost or is it generation four? Well, to me, I think AI is an incredibly powerful service that's going to make everything else better. So I, I think for many years as an industry, we, we had this time of big data. And for big data, part of that was simply we, we told people and organizations, we said, create these vast repositories of information and save everything, store everything, right. run queries against it. And we, we basically said this, this promise. We're saying there's a lot of value in there. We're going to give you some tools to help you get that value out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. To, if I were to defocus and look at AI, we're really saying you've now got all this data, use these tools on it to get value out of it, just in a, a, a far more sophisticated yeah, yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not to discount at all all the amazing research that's gone into making AI possible and useful and amazing. It's more just to, to think of it as the at, at the the very, very highest level of vagueness. It's turning piles of data into something much more useful. So I, I, to me, that's, and that's just something you can use in all different situations and many, many different kinds of applications. Yeah. I think because the access is now more human, as we can, you know, we can express ourselves in English and it will write code for us and things like this, or we can express ourselves in English and it will find the, the answer for us. It's making it more accessible and easy. And I think that's a big change that it's brought is you don't have to be a data scientist to work on data, but you can allow the, the new interface style to allow anybody to almost do it. I, I totally agree. And like we, we look at things like the, the various kinds of AI-powered program generators. We, we just a few weeks ago, we launched Party Rock. And with Party Rock, you literally just go on the opening screen that says, what kind of program do you want? And you, you give it a few sentences of description, and it's going to lay out your input fields, your, your, um, your AI invocations, your rendering, your imagery. So you, you don't have to be a specialist. You don't have to understand all the details of every last way to do advanced prompt engineering. You simply tell the system, this is what I'd want, and it's yeah. going to give you a, a really strong first cut at solving the problem for you. And wh where do you think that the Gen AI market is, is heading in the, in the next couple of years? Well, as we love to say at Amazon, it, it still feels just like day one, but it's mm -hmm. really like the morning of day one at this point. We're, 
we're, we're seeing all these amazing applications being built. We've, we've launched some, I think, pretty cool things here at reInvent. The, the next steps are really going to be as we see our customers taking these, these services, using the models as is, customizing the models with their own corporate data, personalizing them in different ways. And then ultimately, all the customers are the ones that are looking at this and saying that the customers understand their businesses far better than we ever yeah. will. And so we, we, when we talk about being customer obsessed, part of customer obsession means that as our customers come to us and say, we're, we're trying to solve these kinds of problems for our customers. We, we listen, we learn, we try to get a deep understanding of that so that we in turn can invent the right kinds of services to help, to help our customers help their customers. It, it feels to me like, you know, much like many other aspects of Star Trek have slowly become, uh, have slowly become true, you know, the, you know, being able to just say computer and then get it and then get it to do something incredibly sophisticated. It feels like that 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 level of, of interface is where we're going next. Oh, for sure. We're, we're, we're absolutely, I don't, I don't know if we can say we're, we're totally there, but we're, we're, we're very it close. Feels within, for the first time, yeah. it feels within touching we, distance. We, we, we routinely use our voice interfaces for, for, for tasks of all different sorts already on our, our phones, on our Alexa devices, yeah. our computers. I feel like there's something like amazingly intuitive about it in the sense of, I remember the very first, like when I was a kid, Almost the very first thing I typed into a computer, knowing nothing about it, was "hello," and got back syntax error. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like now it's a "hello back." Exactly. And now the the other the other bit in all of this to me is um, is 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 the virtual person interface, and you know we've got we've got an example or two here on our booth actually of like you can go up and you can talk to a. A sort of a simulated human being. I wonder what your take is on the like interface design for this. Like for mine, is like I think I would rather talk to a you know, a droid, you know, like something like that. So, like, what's your what's your thoughts on where you think the interface might go for this stuff? I think there's room for a lot of creativity, and at any point, we've probably not invented the ultimate, and we we don't even know what it's going to look like, sound like, or behave. Yeah. And yeah. we'll like every industry, we're going to keep trying and iterating and we'll we'll suddenly get to the point where the, the truly obvious way to do it best shows up. Um, yeah, right. But right. personally, I think that over time, we're going to see ways to be very, very clear on are we talking to a human or to a computer? And we'll develop some conventions, some indicators that give us give us that understanding of of what what's reasonable. Because there, there, there might be times when you are unhappy with something, let's say, and you're happier shouting at your computer than shouting at another person. Right. Let's put right. it that way. Although I am, I am worried about shouting at a computer and, you know, when they get super They're intelligent, I you. don't want them to hold it against me. <laughs> they go, I'm not processing for you that day. Yeah, 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 I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, doing yeah. it today. Yeah, you were no. mean to me yesterday. I, you know, and they'd be right. If you're rude to it, they'd be right with me. It'll go on your permanent record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, Rob's already in trouble from that perspective. So, you know. I uh, welcome our robot overlords, yeah, as I have yeah, said on many yeah, podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, with all of the sophistication, it, it does seem that there's a little bit of a a burden or responsibility on all the users to, to stay kind of current and to, one, one thing that concerns me is folks that aren't deeply technical, poss the possibility of them being fooled by someone pretending to be a human. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that when you, 
when you when you think about some of the complexity of AI going into the future, and I think I think you know we're we're I think not only as an industry, actually as a society, we're starting to engage in you know the ethical debate around AI, and you know you touch on a very important part of that. Is that is is that one the sort of the the falsehood of it and the misrepresentation of it, the biggest concern you've got going into it's what's going to be a very different world. I'd say partly misrepresentation, but I, I worry personally, for example, you, you hear these stories of, um, of grandchildren or grandparents communicating and one of them calls the other and says, I've, uh, I, I'm in a sticky spot and mm. I need you to do this and send me money and so forth. And those of us that create content online and where, where there's lots of our voice present, as we're doing right now, right. that the voices out there, our images are out there, our videos out there, the ability for a sophisticated AI to, to analyze all that, understand us, and make a fake Jeff that can be more, right. more realistic than I am sometimes, and yeah. then possibly use that against me, I, I, I want people to know that that can happen mm, and then mm. take appropriate safeguards. It's right. the education awareness. You're not sure that everybody is quite aware of the capability. Right. You see a lot of deep fakes online that are even fooling the people who are good friends with the person in the deep fake. And you think, well, when you get to that level of sophistication, there is a societal issue, isn't it? Exactly. Like I'm, we, we, we think about within our own family, like how, how can we voice authenticate each other on the phone? Like how, how can we be highly right. confident that we're talking to each other and it isn't, it isn't made up? And like if, if we do get a call, hey, I'm in this awful situation, I need your help, that we can somehow very quickly verify that's legit. Wow. And that would be, you know, so you're thinking like, uh, you know, a password. Uh, uh, we're, we're well. Given that we're a very kind of geeky family, we're right. thinking of something a little bit more dynamic. But uh, <laughs> but something that we can probably teach to our grandchildren that might be three years old that they can participate in some kind of a. Well, I don't want to give away all the secrets. No, but some kind oh, of. No, thing. that's yeah. the point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to keep the secret within yeah, the yeah, site. Yeah. I, I I have seen multiple articles recently saying there there should be some kind of family shared secrets that when when mentioned or used or not used is a little bit indicator that all is good or all is not good that is not something you'd ever want to share outside your family just right. so that you well, can you, i mean you already have the system where you access enterprise it you have to verify who you are authentication authorization it's a similar concept just but now it's it's moving into the family unit isn't it it's the I, same I, type I of principles so. yeah which is I, a, I don't know that i can actually ask everybody to do multi-factor authentication just to <laughs> what's your code me, but, but yes <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah before i can speak to you and find out about your day i need your code yeah, if, if, yeah i'll give everybody member of my family mfa tokens and that'll, <laughs> that'll solve everything <laughs> but actually let's 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 use that as a bridge into you know it, what our families might do in future and uh, I'd love your take on, you know, your kids and and our kids are all going into a world that it that is going to be very profoundly different to the one that we have grown up in. Like dur during sort of Gen X period of of life and millennial period of life, we've seen some tremendous shifts in digital ability and uh, and 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 the way the world works. If that's not a overly simplistic way of putting it, um, it seems to me going into the world an AI enabled world is a whole next level so i wonder if you what you've thought about in terms of preparing children to go into that world and, and how they're going to add value and uh and exist i i definitely have so i have i have five grown children and six grandchildren so far and so this is something that we we think about mm. a lot and something that we always emphasized growing up was try to understand how things work don't just kind of take them as the surface level mm. and like that that outside appearance that outside api but but be the kind of person that 
that in Amazon terms, you do the, you dive deep, you try to look inside, you view source, you open the cover, you look inside. Mm-hmm. And I, I think with these increasingly complex technologies that we have, that you, you can certainly appreciate them from the outside and say, okay, I have this magic thing and it does this awesome magic thing for me and it's so cool and I don't really know what's inside. Mm-hmm. But to really foster that sense of creativity and that, that bit of wonder that says, I wonder what's inside that box and mm. how, how did that AI generate that image and how does the cloud work inside? I, I don't think we've ever been in a better time to, to be a, a lifelong learner. And when you do want to understand one of those things, you can find that content and you, you, can, you can do that. But it's, even if it's there, you need to just encourage people to, like, you almost have to question people when they're like, hey, here's this neat thing. You say, oh, that's kind of neat. Um, yeah. Have you thought about what's inside? How, how might you actually hypothesize that that works? That, that's a, a little trick I do with my grandkids sometimes. Uh, they, they show me something. I say, hmm, that's kind of neat. Now, consider what might be inside there. And you'd be amazed at what a three-year-old or a five-year-old might tell you in response to some of these questions. And just, right. But just getting that, that questioning um, the practice. Cr- like critical thought. Yes. And when, when you're the parent or the grandparent, all those why questions from, from them all the time, for, at first, like, oh, that's kind of troublesome. But those are the best questions. Yeah, right. and, and sometimes the answer is, I, I don't know either, but let's go on this little journey together to research it, which mm. I, I think can only be good. Yeah, yeah I, I, I entirely agree. We, we, had a, we had a guest on the show, uh, I don't know, earlier this year, who was, who was talking about the, you know, the difference between kind of education that's over-reliant on being information-centric, because actually information is now at the fingertips of like every human. So uh, as you're bringing up a child, how does that child compete in the world where, every, where everybody's got the same democratized access to information? And then that goes double for a world that's going to be deeply AI-enabled. And he got to a, I think a similar place of like, you know, constantly teach and reinforce critical thought yeah curiosity it's really important yeah. isn't it but and asking the whys the whys the whys I, I would say the curiosity is important and then being able to go hands-on with whatever you were yeah. doing that reading and theorizing is wonderful but can you build something with code and if if someone hands you an interesting problem and says you can solve this with a combination of this service and this service and if you're if your first thought is, oh, that, that's really amazing, I can whip up a little bit of Python or I can mm. use, use Bedrock or some other tool to give me some code to get started and I can figure out the rest, Code Whisperer, I suppose, use that to, to figure out how to make these things happen. That, that problem-solving ability, that when you're, when you're presented with an incomplete, with, with a problem and a bunch of parts laying around, mm. that your first thought is, how would I stick those things all together to solve the problem? I, I think engendering that in more people is is a great practice. Fabulous. Well, maybe to just to bring our conversations today to a bit of a close and, and, and using generational links and children, I understand that not only is this an AWS family event for you, but actually the Bar family are here. Uh, yeah, so this is super, super awesome. So yeah. my wife has been to all of the reInvents except for the first one. And I, I don't think at first she kind of grasped what, what the value of this was. And by, by when she came back the second time, she started to see how wonderful it was for me to be able to connect with, with my audience and, mm. and our customers. And, and, and now she's fairly well known around reInvent as well. I know that this is something that she looks forward to every year right. and to, to, to being here and connecting and learning as, mm. as well. Um, and really special for us this year is that our, our, one of our sons, this is his second reInvent, he works for a company called CloudFix. They're an AWS partner. 
And our, our second son is here as well, and he's been learning more about AWS and exploring different kinds of connections with folks and kind of seeing what he can learn and figure out some opportunities for himself as well. Amazing. So have you had a chance to do like a family dinner and things like that? And and you spend, you know, and, and reflect together on like, well, who would have thought this was going to happen? Um, we, we have randomly found ourselves together in the same place at the same time <laughs> um, for, for moments. Like at home. <laughs> uh, th this is a big place, but randomly enough, just before we started recording, I was coming up the escalator and my son Andy was just a few steps behind me. Mm. We came up the top and my wife Carmen was just uh, on the other side of the hallway. No so <laughs> despite the many thousands of people here, we ran into each other by accident. We, all four of us have been together just once last night at, at one party, but we'll make it happen. It, it's funny how you, you, know, you do bump into people a lot here, don't you? It's like the, there's a serendipitous nature about the whole thing, which is that it was pretty terrific. There, there really is, and this, this to me is one of the, the fun parts of reInvent. Uh, there, there are so many folks that have, have um, we, we've connected online, we've been on LinkedIn, maybe they've read some of my content over the years, I've read their content, but being able to meet them face-to-face -face and get this sense of who they are, and what I love to do is, as I'm ha talking to people, and they, they tell me about some value that my work has been to them, and I, I'm always deeply appreciative. It, it, it makes my entire day to hear one of those. And I get to hear it 100 times a day. I, I try to kind of capture that thought, that emotion, that conversation. And the next time I'm writing, I'm writing for that person. Mm, and, I'm, mm. and I hope that doesn't sound weird or creepy or something. They're, they are no, my no, audience. I and I, yeah. I'm personalizing them. And I'm thinking, yeah. okay, they told me in the past they like what I do. I'd better one up my past yeah. self and do even better yeah. to give them even better information the next time around. Well, that resonates with me, and uh, and uh, we just want to say thanks for taking the time to spend a few minutes with us today and uh, and have a conversation about you know this event and the and the and the history of the industry right now. Uh, of course, this has been a lot of fun. Really yeah. enjoyed speaking with you. It's been amazing. Well, look, we end every episode of the show by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next, and given we're in Vegas, is like, what what are you up to over the next couple of days? And that Let's could be see. a good dinner or something you're excited about. I, I'm looking forward to the party tomorrow night. The party's always fun. Um, I. I haven't heard of any of the performers. I was literally about to ask <laughs> that. No exclusives. <laughs> no, the, the performers' names have been publicized, but um, let, let's that say yet. that the whoever selects the music for reInvent has different tastes than, than me personally. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I find anything no, wrong I with the it. performers. It's just that not it's what you not wanted. what I grew up with. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's not who or what I grew up with. So it's always it's new and interesting to hear. Well, I hope you enjoy it, Jeff. And, uh, and thanks again for spending some time with us today. My pleasure. So a huge thanks to our guest this week, Jeff. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks also to our sound and editing wizards, Ben and Louis, our producer, Marcel, and of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and X, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan, and Xiao Kazal. Feel free to follow or connect with us, and please get in touch if you have any comments or ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you back in the AWS reality soon.